Hey, this is your host, Cyrus Lehman, and welcome to another episode of PM Hub Podcast Series, where we feature product leaders across the tech industry around the globe. Now, in this episode, we will talk about the Peak Product Manager framework created by Ravi Meta. Ravi is a consumer technology and product leader who has scaled products that have impacted millions of people and teams to meet the challenge. Most recently, he was the chief product officer at Tinder, where he led the product strategy for the world's number one monetizing app. Prior to Tinder, he's worked at Facebook and TripAdvisor. And also earlier in his career, Ravi has led uh, a scaling gaming startup called Biximo, uh, which is acquired by Tapjoy and also founded his own VC-backed fintech startup. And also he was part of the Xbox, Xbox team, the original team, where he helped define the content and platform strategy for Xbox Live. Ravi holds an MBA from MIT Sloan and a Bachelor of Science in Computer System Engineering from the Boston University. All right, Ravi, welcome to PM Hub. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sure thing. Well, Ravi, why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how we got into product management? Yeah, so I've been in product management my entire career. Um, I got started using technology when I was really young. My dad brought home a computer when I was nine years old, and there wasn't much to do back then other than to learn how to code. So I learned how to code. I started making games in those ways. The way you would distribute your game is you'd release it for shareware and ask for donations. So I did that on America Online and some of the other services that were out back then and really just fell in love with um, technology. I went to undergrad for computer engineering. I figured I would either go into hardware engineering or software engineering. Um, but just by, by happenstance, uh, I started interviewing at Microsoft. Um, and at the time, Microsoft said that they were going to be making a really significant investment um, into games. And they were looking for people that were passionate about games and had experience with games um, to come to Microsoft and help with that effort. So um, I joined Microsoft right after undergrad. And it turned out that that effort was Xbox. So I became one of the first 20 or so people um, on the Xbox team. I spent a lot of time thinking about Xbox Live, uh, which is a really key initiative for Microsoft. One of the reasons that Microsoft got into the online or got into the console business was because Microsoft really understood uh, the internet and where online connectivity was going um, and felt that Microsoft more than uh, some of the Japanese competitors like Nintendo and Sony could really help to move the ball forward in terms of online gaming. So it was incredibly fun to um, be a part of that initiative and to go very quickly from Xbox being a concept to Xbox actually being a device out in the world, being used by, by millions of people. So as a Microsoft for about six years, um, as a as a product manager, focused on both the content side um, and the platform side. Um, and then after about six years, I wanted to see what I wanted to do next and thought maybe I should leave the tech industry altogether. So I went to, to business school. Um, I did a summer of management consulting uh, and worked on a couple of cases that were completely out of side of technology um, and realized at that point, like this was, you know, an early love of mine. and was going to continue to be something that I wanted to do. Uh, for the rest of my life. So since then, um, I've worked um, in product leadership roles at uh, small startups as well as larger companies. Um, most recently, I was chief product officer at Tinder, uh, where I was helping the company think about um, its strategy for Gen Z and what the next generation of online dating will look like. Uh, prior to that, I uh, was at Facebook. I was on a team focused on youth. So we we're particularly thinking about um, how do people 13 to 18 
use social media? How is that changing over time? Um, and what can Facebook build um, in order to make sure that Facebook and its set of products are a great fit for the social needs of teenagers. Um, and before that, I was at TripAdvisor for about five years where I led the consumer product team during a really interesting phase in the company's history where uh, it was newly rolled out from Expedia. And as a result, uh, there were a number of things strategically that TripAdvisor could do um, that didn't make sense when it was part of uh, the Expedia group. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, how to create a um, all-in-one travel e-commerce solution. So really thinking about how to turn TripAdvisor into an Amazon for travel with the ability to, to purchase travel across um, hotels, restaurants, and attractions, um, and build the interface that people could use to more effectively plan their trips. So uh, it's been a really interesting interesting journey. I've really loved um, building products that millions of people are using and that I use myself, that my family gets value out of. And so um, you know, that's how I got into product management and, and why I'm still here. Now, Ravi, tell us a bit more about the history of Peak Product Manager or the PPM framework. So I developed the, the Peak Product Manager framework while I was at TripAdvisor. Um, right after I had started at TripAdvisor, um, I started at about the same time as, a, as the first year um, of people that were in an MBA rotational program that TripAdvisor had developed. Uh, and the reason the company had developed the program is TripAdvisor knew that it was going to go through a period of growth and wanted to rapidly scale the product team with really great product leaders. Um, but at the time, being located in Boston and as one of the few consumer tech companies in Boston, there just wasn't a pool, a large enough pool of um, qualified consumer tech product leaders uh, within Boston that we could hire in order to meet the needs um, that we wanted for the team. And so um, prior to me starting, um, Adam Medros, the, the head of product at, at TripAdvisor, um, had come up with the idea of recruiting um, graduates and undergraduates into TripAdvisor with the MBA program in particular. Uh, it's a two-year program where uh, graduates rotate through four different six-month product rotations in different parts of the business. Some might be front-end facing, um, some web facing, some mobile facing, some back-end and facing. It's a really nice rapid introduction to product management as a career. So in doing that, we were bringing people into the organization that had not had product management experience before, but demonstrated the raw potential to be really great product managers. And one of the things that we thought a lot about was what are the competencies that are necessary to be an extraordinary product manager and an extraordinary product leader? Um, and as we thought about that, that's um, something that led to the creation of the, the peak product manager framework, which is um, a system of 12 competencies that product managers and product leaders can use to assess themselves, assess the people working on their team, um, and assess uh, the overall initiatives with the organization or uh, within an organization. The competencies break down into four areas. Um, the first one being um, product execution, uh, which is a set of three competencies focused on um, how product managers um, define and deliver uh, product. So it's really essentially about launching products. The second area is customer insight. That's a set of three competencies specifically focused on how product managers understand what customers want um, and translate that into really great uh, user experiences. The third set of competencies are um, in the area of product strategy. And those are really focused on taking really good feature to feature work and weaving that together into a compelling long-term roadmap um, that helps the product team 
develop the product um, with the end goal uh, of achieving business impact for the company and helping the company realize its strategy. And then the fourth area of competency is around influencing people. Product management is unique in that it's a leadership role right from um, the get-go. So associate product managers are leaders and um, you know, just as much as uh, chief product officers are, are leaders, they're just leading in a different way. And so the area of competency around influencing people is focused on the skills that PMs need to uh, lead stakeholders, to lead teams, um, and to manage up to get the support that they need uh, for their work they're doing. So those 12 competencies all work together. Um, ultimately, we developed a framework so that it could help us evaluate people internally, put together really great development programs, um, standardize what we were doing from a recruiting standpoint. And over the years of, of using it, um, it became really clear that it was a really nice lens um, to put on the product organization and help define what um, you know, traditionally has been a pretty uh, amorphous role. Wow. That's that's pretty that's pretty interesting, and I love how how you put this into different quadrants and kind of broke it down, uh, you know, from the four cores into twelve competencies. That's crystal clear when you, when you look at the whole kind of uh, big picture of of uh, these four main areas. Uh, now, uh, Ravi, in in the original uh, blog post that you talked about the peak product manager concept, you've mentioned that the PMs are intellectual athletes. Can you elaborate a bit more on this? Yeah, so when I was at Microsoft, um, I was there at a really interesting time. Microsoft and Google both really helped to define what product management is. There hadn't traditionally been that role. Um, you know, early on in tech, there were project managers and software engineers, um, and Microsoft and a few of the other uh, large tech companies recognized that there was an in-between role that was really essential to helping product teams develop um, really great software that fulfills the needs that customers have. Um, and a person that I was working with at the time, uh, she led a lot of training uh, in the product management org, um, said that product managers are like the mortar in a brick wall. Like mortar, they fluidly fill the gaps to make the whole team stronger. And that's really stuck with me all of these years. And I think that highlights a few important things about the product management role. One is that it really is fluid. There's not a very crystal clear definition of what a product manager is, and it can vary from company to company. The second is really successful product managers do whatever it takes in order to deliver great business results for the company um, and to make the team as effective as possible. And so the reason I think intellectual athletes are so important or that term is so important when we think about product managers is because the best people who are product managers think about themselves not as domain specialists, but as generalists who are able to master a, a large and interlocking array of skills um, and do what it takes in order to deliver what the team needs and what the company needs from the, the product. And so um, you know, in the course of a, a single day, a product manager can do very many different things, including you know, talking to the engineers, understanding things from a really technical standpoint, talking to customers, um, looking, looking at data, working with designers on what the user experience looks like. Um, and it's this really interesting role where you combine both left brain activities and right brain activities, um, and you're doing that context switching constantly. And the people I think that do um, that make the best product managers are these intellectual athletes who are able to learn quickly to fill a bunch of different roles and fill those gaps so that um, they themselves get stronger um, as they accrue experience as a product manager and they make everyone around them stronger through the work that they're doing um, and the, the gaps that they're filling. Right on. Uh, now, 
uh, under the product quality assurance competency, which is under the product execution quadrant, Ravi, you mentioned that the quality is the product's most important feature. Uh, why, why is that? I think that's a really important thing that a lot of product teams forget. It's it's hard in the day-to-day of product development to take your eye off of the idea that we just got to add more and more, that we got to make the product better, that we have to fulfill more user needs, um, add more functionality. But ultimately, especially for products that have product market fit and have already found success, customers come to rely on those products within their daily lives to accomplish those the things that those products were meant to do. Um, and in the quest for new features, um, there's potentially two downsides there. One is that you add things that people don't really need and you needlessly make the product more complex. The other downside is that over time in the quest for new features, you don't spend enough time maintaining the core features that are there. And that actually undermines the reason your customers were there in the first place. And so this idea that quality comes first is something that um, I heard from a friend of mine who used to work at Spotify. Um, and he said, this is really core to the way that Spotify approaches product development, they want to make sure that um, the core experience, the core listening experience on Spotify is as rock solid as possible. Um, And only once you've uh, fulfilled that and fixed all of the bugs related to that core experience, can you start to work on new features? And so that I think really highlights a commitment to your customers today rather than your potential new customers tomorrow that's really important. And you can see that in the Spotify product. I think that's one of the reasons that they have won in what has been a, a really competitive space. And that's because you know I can't recall a time when Spotify got in the way of my listening experience when the music um, you know, skipped when I had a decently strong uh, connection where there were user interface issues or where something didn't work as, as intended. Um, you know, all of that has meant that the, the product experience is really rock solid. As a listener, Spotify consistently delivers and I can rely on it as a utility in my life um, rather than um, them focusing on the next shiny feature um, and delivering an experience that might have all the bells and whistles, but not um, truly fulfill that core need that I have, which is a, a solid listening experience. I love that. Now, now on to the next core competency, Ravi, customer insight. We have uh, you know voice of the customer as a competency that you brought up. And you mentioned that the mistake made by uh, a lot of PMs is that they solve for co- company goals, which is you know usually easy to understand and track versus actually user needs which is, uh, you know, quite sometimes hard to understand and measure. Now, how is this related to delivering business outcome that you mentioned as, you know, I I think the main goal of a peak product manager? Yeah, that's a really good, good question. And this is, this highlights, I think, a core um, tension in the product management role, which is that PMs are both tasked with delivering short-term results as well as delivering long-term value. Um, and sometimes those can appear to be at odds. And so, you know, there might be something that you know is not the best thing for the customer, but it will generate more revenue or maybe it'll generate more engagement or retention. Um, and companies ultimately end up making the decision to do those things because it helps them hit the, the visible measures that they're using to judge um, the success of the business. Um, but this is, a, this is a problem that Clayton Christensen, the author of Innovator's Dilemma and Competing Against Luck, um, has highlighted as a key reason that big companies make themselves exposed to disruption. It's because they start to 
um, optimize for themselves, for their internal visible measures, rather than for the needs of their customers. And I think one thing that is very true, although sometimes gets murky as in the complexity of business, is that ultimately business value is tied to customer value. And if you're not making your customers' lives better, um, at some point that's going to catch up with you um, from a business standpoint. Um, and we see this today with, you know, there's been tech businesses that have um, become massively successful that have um, collapsed in just as quick a, a time because they started optimizing for uh, metrics that weren't meaningful to customers rather than for the customer experience. I think if we look out in the world, one of the best examples of very customer obsessed company is Amazon. Um, they routinely step away from the thing that might be profit maximizing in this moment um, so that they can offer a product that feels um, rich and useful in customers' daily lives. As a recent example, I was watching uh, a movie through Amazon uh, video and um, you know the movie had a couple of glitches here and there, nothing that we um, you know had exception with. Uh, but about a day after we watched the movie, I got an email from Amazon saying um, the video quality of the video you just rented didn't meet our standards. We've refunded you um, the money. And so we hadn't complained at all. This was a proactive refund that Amazon did. Uh, for many companies, it would be unthinkable to give away revenue that they've earned um, in order to send a signal to a customer that they've done the right thing by them. And so, you know, I think it's really important that product managers understand um, ultimately what customers want. So customer insights, absolutely critical um, to success as a product manager, and then also have the fortitude to advocate for those customer needs, even in the face of um, potentially competing um, needs of, of the business. And ultimately, the reason for that is not because you don't care about business impact, but because ultimately you do care about business impact. And the best way to impact the business is not to optimize for any of these meaningless measures, but to really to optimize for the value that you're delivering to the customer, because that will al always ultimately translate into business impact. Uh, now, under the user experience design, under uh, the consumer insight core section, Ravi, you mentioned that too often teams conflate visual design and interaction design and also a foreign UI. Now, can you explain uh, why is that the case and also give us an example maybe? Yeah, I think this is a another um, example of companies optimizing for their own needs or their own goals rather than for the customer. Um, one of the things that I think is great about what's happened in, in tech over the last like five to seven years is that design has become more to the fore, has sort of risen to the forefront in people's minds of an essential thing to get right about products. But oftentimes when people think about design, they think about form over function. And so aesthetics are something that anyone can see right away. Um, you know, designers appreciate beautiful things. The people that are uh, seeing UIs appreciate beautiful things. And so internally companies start to make their UI more and more beautiful. And oftentimes in doing that, that means reducing clutter, using a more limited co color palette. Um, instead of having things appear three-dimensional, having things appear two-dimensional. Um, and all of that organization that ultimately results in an aesthetically really nice product um, can sometimes um, sort of gloss over the things that make a product usable. And so I think Amazon is another good example here. Amazon does not build beautiful products, but they build incredibly functional products. Um, and so, you know, no matter where you are on Amazon's site, you know what are the key buttons that can 
help you add something to a card or they can help you pivot to um, a product that you might be might be interested in. Um, and so, you know, I don't think you should optimize for function over form, but you definitely shouldn't optimize for form over function. Ultimately, I think the best user interfaces combine the two so that you have user interfaces that feel thoughtful, well-designed, well-organized, um, but also you know, understand that customers need information uh, to make decisions um, and that that information you know, needs to be on the user interface and that might um, yield something that feels quote unquote more cluttered than another user interface. You know, I think a, a classic and maybe trite example of this is gray hyperlinks. So, you know, at some point in the past, I don't remember exactly what it was, um, people shifted from using blue hyperlinks to uh, more often using gray hyperlinks. And they certainly look better. Like one of the things that's visually noisy um, about a page is when you have a bunch of links and they're, um, you know, a different color than the, the rest of the body of the article. But the problem with going to gray links is that in every test that I've done, and this has been shown um, in other tests as well, people don't recognize that they're links and they click on them less. And so people are clicking on them 10 to 20% less than if you just use a color and an underline for a link. And so what you've done is you've actually made um, the content on the, the site less useful for people because now you thought that adding a link was useful and that a person would want to have that reference. And few of your customers actually know that that reference is there. Um, so that's a really good example of um, form over function. In that particular case, the, the knock-on effect of it from a business impact standpoint um, isn't, you know, is generally not as um, important. But the same thing has happened with buttons related to revenue and adding to cart. As people have gone to more and more two-dimensional designs and softer designs, um, the clarity of user interfaces has decreased. The ability for people to really quickly see what are the key calls to actions on, a, on the page have decreased. And I think really good product uh, designers and product managers understand the need to both um, have a beautiful interface as well as have an interface um, that gives users the support that they need to make the decisions that help them get the most value out of your product. I love that. Uh, now, moving on to, you know, the influencing people quadrant, the last one, there's stakeholder management that we have. Now, you actually mentioned that stakeholder management is the wrong term. And why is that? So I think historically, we, we've talked about stakeholder management as a really important part of uh, a product manager's job. And this is this is the area where leadership really comes into into play. Um, at the earliest point in their career. So associate product managers um, and new product managers have to learn how to um, influence the people on their team to help accomplish the results that um, they need to accomplish. But I think stakeholder management is really the wrong term. Stakeholders don't want to be managed as much as they want to be included. And so ultimately, the product managers in this really interesting position where, and a very enviable position in the sense that everyone in the company um, is interested in the product, has a stake in the product, wants to see the product do well for customers, um, wants to see the product be something that's useful in their lives as well, if it's that type of type of product. And so when stakeholders have things that they are solving for, those aren't things to be managed um, or compromised. Those are really interesting perspectives that are more diverse than the product managers or you know, other people on the team where you know, those perspectives need to be understood, need to be valued, need to be included in the process. As a result of having that diversity of perspectives, product managers will be able to make better decisions. And with those decisions that are made more inclusively, stakeholders will then feel 
less managed and more included in the product, which makes them you know, not just stakeholders in terms of the product requirements, but stakeholders in the product success. And that's ultimately the thing that I think a product manager can do really well is make sure that everyone on their team is as committed to the success of the product as they themselves are. And when you do that, you have, you know, not just people that are offering diverse opinions that need to be managed, but you have a supportive, high functioning, aligned team um, that's all included in the success of the product. And that ultimately is a thing um, that adds more fuel and more momentum to product development than I think anything else a product manager could do. Right on. Now, uh, now Ravi, you know, we have this PPM framework, beautiful. There's four quadrants or core that you call them. There's the, the first two top ones are the product execution and uh, customer insight which uh, are more, I guess, important as a product manager or like that's the stage you're at. And then moving on to the third and last one on product strategy and influencing people related to more of a product leader role. Now, you know, crossing this kind of, uh, you know, all these four different quadrants from a product manager to product leader, what are some challenges that uh, you've seen, uh, you know, uh, folks actually make out face out there? One of the biggest challenges is I think that the role of a PM fundamentally changes as they get um, higher up within an organization. And so ultimately a product manager's job is to deliver features um, or to build features. A product leader's job is to build features, but also to build teams and also to build companies. And so that shift from, you know, ultimately my success is judged um, from the features I ship to ultimately my success is judged based on the systems that I create, the teams that I create, the strategic objectives that I help deliver. That's a pretty fundamental shift in the way that people work. Um, and I think, you know, for product managers that are looking to make that next step into product leadership, it's very important to recognize um, that that is a chasm that has to be crossed um, and that it requires a really intentional development of skills and intentionally practicing um, those new skills. Uh, Reforge, uh, who has a series of, of programs on growth, just announced a, a product strategy program that they're going to be launching in the fall. Um, and as part of launching that, they released an article about crossing the chasm from um, a senior PM into a GPM or director. And they talk um, in really good detail about some of the things that are important for new product leaders to do in order to be successful in the role. Specifically from the perspective of the peak product manager framework, it means um, spending less time on product execution and customer insight and spending more time on building up your product strategy skills and building up your skills to influence people in new ways. So PMs, by the time they become product managers, have probably gotten very good at stakeholder management, um, but they may be managing direct reports for the first time. They may be managing up more than they have in the past. And so those are things that are both really important for them to maintain success. Um, the team leadership piece is really important for a PM to be able to understand how to recruit really great product managers onto their organization, um, how to coach the PMs that are within their organization um, and help them level up um, in their path to getting to where they wanna go from a career perspective. And managing up is really important because ultimately resources in a company flow to the product teams that are most aligned with leadership's objectives. And so there's an interesting dialogue that product leaders need to have with 
um, their company leadership team, uh, which is advocating for the things they think are important strategically, as well as understanding what company leadership thinks is important strategically and making sure that the work that they're doing is well aligned um, and well communicated within that framework um, so that everyone you know, within the organization at the leadership level understands the value that a particular product leader's team is bringing to the table and gives them the resources to accomplish whatever it is they're setting out to do. And then the second piece is really product strategy. And that's a different way of thinking about product work than feature work. It's ultimately about not thinking about a single feature, but thinking about how a set of features are woven together um, into a cohesive roadmap and a cohesive vision for where the product is going, ultimately with the goal of using the product as a lever to um, drive forward the company's strategy and deliver business impact. Uh, so those are the two areas that I think are really important for people to focus on when they move into product leadership roles is develop your product strategy skills, um, really focus on your ability to influence people um, and think about that as a much more conscious development process um, than maybe the, the path to PM from PM to senior PM um, because of the fact that those skills are pretty different than uh, what a person has done in the past. So the old adage goes, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Um, it, and, you know, that I think is very much true, especially at that particular point within the product uh, career cycle. No, I love that. So, I mean, the, the PPM toolkit that we have in place, would it matter if you're a B2B or B2C PM to, to apply it? It doesn't matter. So we intentionally developed it with the goal of having it applied to both um, B2C and B2B PMs. Um, TripAdvisor, where we initially put this into practice, um, has both. Uh, so TripAdvisor has a pretty evolved product um, for hoteliers and restaurateurs and um, uh, attraction uh, owners. And we wanted to make sure that the PMs that were focused on those um, supplier-centric parts of the product um, could also use this toolkit. Some of the things change. So customer insight is less about understanding consumers and more about understanding um, the small business owners or other types of um, customers that you're serving. So some of it needs to be tweaked through the lens of the particular role that you're in, but it should work equally well for both B2B and B2C, um, as well as more internally focused product managers. If you're a, um, a PM that's building tools for your company to be able to operate more efficiently, um, you can also use this framework um, with the uh, the caveat that you'll think about customer insight in terms of your internal customers rather than through external customers. Right on. Now, uh, w where can our listeners find out more about the PPM framework, Ravi? Yeah, so I've published a series of articles as well as um, a toolkit, which has um, all the information about the competencies that I've gone over, as well as some worksheets that you can use to evaluate yourself or to evaluate your teams. I've also got some guidelines on how to put the competencies into practice um, in terms of hiring or one-on-ones or performance evaluations. Um, all of that content is available on my website. So the website is uh, ravi-meta.com. So just R-A-V-I-M-E-H-T-A.com. Right on. Thanks, Brad. I've checked that out. It's amazing, the amount of uh, information you put out there. It's a great framework, and I'm a big fan of it personally. So thank you for putting it out there. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the program. I really enjoyed it. Sure thing. So so uh, what's, what's next with you and, uh, I guess, your professional career? Right? You've been all over the place. You've worked for some of the biggest brands out there. Now, what's next? Yeah, so I'm in the process of, of thinking thinking through that. Um, 
I uh, left uh, Tinder in February. My plan was to think about um, things from a smaller perspective. I've been at big companies for uh, the last couple of opportunities that I've had. I've actually liked going back and forth between small companies um, and larger companies. It's given me a really interesting uh, think perspective on product management as well as perspective on building building products. Um, so I want to do something something smaller. I'm in the process of exploring um, a couple ideas. One we've got um, in development right now, um, which uh, tests a couple thesis on where I feel social is going for for Gen Z. Um, so that's what I'm spending time on right now, and really excited about you know the where things are going. I know that it's been an incredibly challenging time for. Um, people on multiple levels with with the global pandemic, um, and you know it's been inspiring to see how people have come together, um, as well as you know a little bit uh, overwhelming to also see some of the challenges that people are facing, um, you know in their in their daily lives. And so um, you know I think now for the past few months I've been really focused on writing and helping PMs, particularly helping folks that are going through job transitions. I'm going to shift more time to thinking about what's next and really thinking about how the world has changed as a result of COVID and how we can use technology in a really positive way to bring people further, closer together. I think, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, as a society, we've done so well through this, um, through this change, through the pandemic is because we have had these technology tools uh, that have brought us closer together. And I'm, I'm interested in continuing to build that future. Right on. That's actually a great segue to my last question. Uh, could be a fun question. I mean, what are some of your, you know, quarantine tips if you'd like to share? I think most of my quarantine tips have been around our kids. So we, I have two daughters. <laughs> I've got an 11 year old uh, and a nine year old. It's been a really interesting process um, to, you know, it's been great to spend more time with them through through home homeschooling. It's also been a challenging process, as I know a lot of parents can attest to their school did a really phenomenal job with with homeschooling. I think my biggest tip is to, um, you know, social distancing doesn't mean that you, ne you need to be in the house all day. I think we've seen with the kids as well as ourselves that getting time away from the screen um, is probably one of the, the best tips to making quarantine life better. Um, and then the second tip, I think, is around making that screen time as high quality as possible. Our kids in particular have been spending a lot of time on Roblox. And so, you know, not great that they're on a screen, but as a game experience, it's been really fun to see how they've um, dived into it, how it's helped them stay connected to their friends and how it's been a really creative platform as well. Um, Roblox has a uh, two parts of the experience, one of which is the, the games that you can play and the other is Roblox Studio, where you can actually go in and build your own games. Um, and it's it's a very complex, powerful system, but it's also one that's designed well enough that a, uh, a seven or eight year old can can pick it up. So I think those are my two big tips: is make sure you're getting away from your screen um, and you're getting time outside um, and in the sun. And then you know, for the time that you are spending in front of the screen, try to make it as social and creative as possible, um, so that you're using uh, using the screen time as a as a tool to exercise your mind rather than, uh, you know, just a tool to consume content. Right on. Well, like, thank you so much, Ravi, for uh, being uh, our guest today and talking about the Peak Product Manager. It was a very interesting uh, talk that we had. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's talk with Ravi Mehta on Peak Product Manager Framework. 
and took some value out of it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at PMHubTO. And until next time, stay safe and healthy.